Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16 from the New Living Translation. Unity in the body. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and be patient and gentle with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope or future. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and one Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that he says, he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles and prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. The responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We will not be tossed and blown about every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when we will ah, sorry. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lives so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Luke. Right, uh, I would like to invite um, Rachel to come up and share the word with us this morning. Let's just pray for her. Father, I thank you for our sister Rachel. That this, that, that this morning, that this morning we are so privileged to hear from her and her sharing. We ask that Lord, you speak through her and you use her as your mouthpiece to share your word and your encouragement to our people. And for our people, Lord, we pray that you open their hearts, um, soften their spirits, Lord, to receive that word from you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't need that one, but thank you. Good morning. So... Um, awesome. All right. If you don't know me, my name is Rachel. Uh, I'm married to Liam and I'm related to a few more people in this church. But um, I'm, I'm really excited and very nervous to be up the front today. Uh, I usually am involved in youth ministry and young adults ministry at this church. Uh, so this is, but this is my first go up the front with everybody. So um, 
yeah, I'm hoping that it all goes all right. <laughs> yeah. uh, so th thanks so much, Luke, for reading the Bible for us. Uh, this passage he's just read is really exciting because we've finally hit the big therefore. Uh, so this series has been called Therefore, and we're looking into... Sorry, am I a bit up or down? There, is that better? Maybe, we'll see. Um, so everything that's come before this point in the letter is now pointing forwards um, to what comes next. And the previous sermons have unpacked what Jesus has done for us. Uh, but Paul is now about to show us what this all means um, and how it should inform the way we live our lives as Christians, saved by the blood of Christ. So firstly, in verse 1, um, we've got a really big and really fast answer to the therefore. So Paul says... Yes, good. Okay. <laughs> Given everything I have just said about what Jesus has done, I urge you to live a life worthy of your calling because you have been called by God. So what's to follow is a more detailed explanation of how we are to live a life worthy of our calling. And chapter 4 begins with all of us together uh, as the church. So it's about how we are to live a worthy life communally rather than individually. So how are we to live as the church community? In chapter 2, Paul explains that the church, using metaphors like the body of Christ and the temple or house where God dwells, is made up of a group of people unified by Christ who were once separate. So chapter 2, verses 14 to 16 says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. I don't understand why it doesn't. Can I? <laughs> Use a hand one? Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Um, all right. So, yep, he's made peace between the Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Um, so the church then is made up of two distinct groups uh, that were brought together as one. This sounds really wonderful. So it's this unity, harmony, a wonderful new humanity made from two groups. But hang on, it says that this new people group used to hate one another. They didn't just see things differently. It's not like little squabbles like, you know, who serves the best morning tea or um, what kind of worship songs they do. No, there's actually a dividing wall of hostility between these two groups. The Jews and Gentiles really hated each other before being brought together. So it's within this context that Paul is asking us as members of this new body to live with one another, showing humility, gentleness patience, bearing with one another in love and eager to maintain unity in spirit in the bond of peace. So we all know that we should be showing these virtues in our everyday lives and to everybody. But today our challenge is to think about how we interact with all others who are part of the body of Christ, 
and that's the whole body of Christ. So are we patient and loving and humble with all of our Christian brothers and sisters? Or do we only do that with the ones we see as being just like ourselves? So Paul goes on in verses 4 and 5 to show us why we should be united and what we should be united in. He says there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all and living through all. I feel like Paul is really trying to hammer something home here. Why should we be united? Because we are one. There is one reason for our faith and one solution. If we're all following the same constant God, surely we can't help but be one united body, right? Well, the reality of being a sinful human is that, um, uh, is that even by following one God, we're each individuals who can be led astray, or we can start letting other things divide us and take our attention away from the incredible truths that we've just read. But God does want us to be united under Christ and to help unite the body and build it up. He has given gifts to his people, which allows some to be raised up into different roles within the body. So in verse 11, we hear about these people. They are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Um, so from my like research, there was more than one way to actually interpret this part of the passage, and I'm not going to delve too far into it because I don't know. But um, there's a bit of a question of whether these gifts were given in different amounts to all Christians or whether they specify certain types of Christians, um, certain types of leaders that are brought up within the church. So I think either way that it can be agreed that these gifts are not the only gifts that God gives to his church, um, but they're mentioned because they play a really important role. Uh, so with this in mind, we'll just go through each one individually. So the apostles um, are the apostles in the Bible, so we know them as the ones who were with Jesus um, and met and worked with him on earth, um, and they're the 12 and Paul, and they're the ones that gave us the Bible. Um, the apostle can kind of translate to sent out one, so that's why it can be seen as more of a um, trait rather than specific people. Um, prophets hear and interpret God's word and pass on that word to his people. Um, again, this could be more general uh, of prophets that are more contemporary or the prophets of the Old Testament. Um, the evangelists tell the good news. And the pastors and teachers uh, can actually be considered one role, like a pastor-teacher. Um, but if you kind of break it down, pastor translates roughly to shepherd. So they're the shepherd of the flock, the carer of the people, and the teacher teaches God's word. So for me, there's two really important things to take away from this. Um, uh, talking about the different gifts. Firstly is the fact that they are different and they're deliberately different. So the wonderful people over at the Bible Project um, that do all those cool videos with the little doodles, um, they highlight this fact really well by saying that what Jesus wants from his church is unity but not uniformity. So um, what that means is that each person within the church will have different gifts but not all be exactly the same as one another. And we are to use our different strengths, not to set ourselves apart or to become competitive or divisive, but to use these gifts to build unity um, and to build up the whole church together. The second important point I find to take away from this is the way that these gifts are to be used. So in verse 12, it says that the responsibility of the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. 
So just because there might be a really gifted evangelist in the congregation doesn't mean that you, who might not feel like you're a gifted evangelist, never does any evangelism. You don't just leave it all to that person. No, or just because here at the Billabong we support Camille and Derek to do evangelism over in Thailand, they're overseas missionaries, we don't just leave it all to them. We can learn from them, we can be encouraged by them, uh, and we can grow in evangelism to do it here as well. The same goes for um, the other leaders. So Luke is our main pastor teacher, um, but if he's the only one who does any teaching in this congregation, then we can't be considered a healthy, growing, strong body. So the responsibility of all these different leaders is to equip others within the body to do the work of sharing God's word. So you and me, all of us here, who may not always be standing at the front leading, we're not off the hook. We, God wants our, this whole body to grow and become more mature. And in order to do that, we need to keep learning through our whole Christian journey. As I mentioned before, these things listed aren't an exhaustive list, so there's other things that you can be doing to help God's ministry. But the point of these things is that they're skills we need in the church in order to build up the church to become mature Christians and Christians who are not swayed easily by the winds of false teaching. So this image of the winds and waves of false teaching, I think, is a really helpful one. Uh, it's in verse 14. It says, Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. <laughs> um, so there's a different image in the Bible that also shows us what an immature Christian can look like. Um, someone who is easily swayed by false teaching. It's found in Matthew chapter 13 in the parable of the sower. Um, hopefully... Some of you guys are familiar with that one. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but Jesus outlines four different soil types which represent the state of people's hearts when they receive the good news. Um, so I just want to mention one of these soil types, which is the rocky soil. When the seed falls on the rocky soil, at first the plant grows tall, but because the roots aren't able to penetrate because of the rocks, as soon as the sun comes up, the plant is scorched and withered away. Jesus explains this part of the parable in verses 20 to 21, saying the seed, falls on, sorry, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So while these are two distinct images, they both show the dangers of being an immature Christian who is not... Yeah, so <laughs> um, in Ephesians, Paul is warning against a communal immaturity and an immaturity of the whole church. And in Matthew, Jesus talks about an individual Christian who has not developed deep roots that come when you are more mature in the faith. So it looks like we have been warned. Immaturity as a church or as a Christian can have some consequences. But maybe you're thinking, I don't know, is it really that big a deal? I'm already a Christian. Why do I have to be more mature? can't I just be kind of average? I'm saved anyway. But I think Christian maturity is important. Um, and it's one of the reasons that I am passionate about serving in this church in the ways that I do. As I mentioned in the beginning, I'm involved in ministry here with our young people. I do youth group on Fridays. Um, I help lead a young adults women Bible study and I help lead SuperCal on the weekends. 
Um, I really love serving in this way. Uh, we have great young people here. They're amazing. Um, <laughs> and I think partly that is because when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, I had a lot of opportunity to learn more about God and the Bible. Um, and I got to grow in my faith so that it was stronger and allowed me to be more deeply rooted in Jesus. I also see around me that others haven't always had the same opportunity to learn more and more. Um, and I hope that by trying to teach and encourage our teenagers and young adults to dig deep into the Bible, that they might find their faith strengthened and maturing so that if a rough storm or a scorching sun comes along in the way of trials and challenges to their faith, that they might have grown deep enough roots to withstand it. So becoming a mature Christian is not something that just happens. Um, it's not like a little tick box, like I've read the whole biblical section sorry, biblical theology section at Kurong, so I must be mature. No, it's not, um, it's not something you just reach. Um, it's an growing and maturing like anything, like in the body, in the human body. It's an ongoing process. And God says the more we are equipping one another through these leadership gifts, the more we will grow as a church. So I do think maturity as a Christian and as a church is important because when you follow God, there will definitely be challenges. And maybe you have met some already. I just want everyone to have a think about that. Have you ever had your faith challenged? Have you ever had a storm of false teaching threatened to knock you over? Because I know I have. Especially being a teenager and a young adult and being a Christian, it can feel as if the whole world is beating down against you, like these winds Paul talks about. There's false doctrines all around that tell you Things like, you need to get drunk to have fun. They tell you that you should be liked by everyone. They tell you that being a Christian is lame and boring. They tell you that science disproves God. These are not the truth. These are not the gospel. They're distractions and lies, and they're trying to knock you over. But Paul says that Jesus' church, this community of Christians that spans generations and cultures, is here to build you up to give you the tools to fight false teaching, not to do it for you, uh, but to give you the discernment and the ability to see God's truth when so many liars are out there. If you are young, chances are you've had less opportunity to grow those roots. Um, and this is particularly true for, true for teenagers because you've reached that stage of life where your faith isn't your parents' faith and you get to decide for yourself um, what you believe and what you put your trust in. Um, but Christian maturity isn't only about age and experience. So for all of us, wherever you're at on your Christian journey, uh, I want to draw our attention now to verses 15 and 16. It says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ, who is the head of this body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So you see, regardless of where you're at in your walk with God, we are all a special part of the body of Christ, and each part has its own special work to do, not just to work out their own salvation, but to help the other parts grow. So you may not really know where you sit in the body of Christ, but I encourage you to think about it. Think about who it is you're acting on, and who acts on you. So using the kind of body analogy, like 
actually Dinah used a really good example earlier, she had a nerve pain that was causing, or sorry, the spur that caused the nerve, the pinched nerve that caused her pain in her body, and it's everything acting on something else, um, or like a part of the body, like your biceps. They're attached to the top of your arm here. They're acted on by nerve impulses, and they act on the forearm. So everything's connected. Everything acts on something else. Everything must work seamlessly together, and no part is unimportant. So who do you act on, and who acts on you? There's another more theological way of putting this, uh, and it's who are you discipling, and who is discipling you? It's essentially the same kind of thing. It can be hard to think about how you might influence others, especially if you're not in a particular position of leadership, but relationships are incredible, and it can be amazing how God allows each of us to influence one another. You may be surprised one day to find what influences you've had on people. So I encourage you to think about where you're influencing others and being influenced, and whether you are causing others to grow and mature in the faith. The church works really beautifully when this is done well. An important thing to note in verse 16 is that it says, instead of being tricked by clever lies, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more like Christ. So as we disciple others, we are to speak the truth in love. We are to gently rebuke when we see that our fellow Christians are being led astray. This is part of how we build up one another to reach maturity. Personally, I find this a really hard thing to do. It's a hard thing in our culture. We don't really like to get into each other's business and, and you know, you want to be well-liked by everyone so you don't want to be going around telling them off. But God says this is how we are to live in the body of Christ. So I know I personally need to work on that. So I just wanted to um, use an example of how I think Ephesians chapter 4 has tied together in my life. Um, and I'll do it by putting forward three questions that I've sort of asked throughout this sermon. Um, and I'd like to challenge each one of us to think about the questions with regard to your own lives as well. Um, so the questions are, who is acting on you and who are you acting on? Are you loving, humble, gentle and patient with Christians who are not like you? And has your faith been challenged? So I'm a reasonably academic person. I like to analyse, I like to think hard about things until they make sense. Uh, so in my opinion, my faith being challenged has been a really good thing. Um, in being challenged, I've got to think deeply about some of the big questions that surround my faith and I've been able to come up with a reason for the hope that I have, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15. Challenges have helped me to grow my roots deeper and continually helps me to grow in my faith. I'm not afraid of stupid questions posed by friends who don't understand my faith um, because I know I have the Bible and I've had good teachers who help me to understand it enough to withstand tricky questions. Uh, I want to tell a story of how my beliefs were challenged in the best possible way once, um, which is by fellow Christians. Um, so during my time at uni, I was involved in the Christian Union. Uh, they're an evangelical group of Christians um, that are unapologetic about the Bible. They want to see Jesus known all over WA uni campuses, and they were incredibly helpful for me in equipping my, me and skills of reading the Bible and explaining it to others. Overall, the CU is more conservative than our church here, um, which I grew up in, and so as such, I met people there who held different views to what I did. One time, I was at one of their events, and I was about 18. Um, I was pretty new to the CU. Um, I was sitting with some friends, and there was an announcement made about a preacher camp for preaching training. 
Um, there would be two groups on the camp learning separately, uh, guys and girls. And at the end of the training, each person would have to have a go at preaching. And then the girl sitting next to me asked a question uh, and said, just to clarify, the girls will only preach to the girls and the guys will preach to the guys, right? Um, and there was a weird kind of giggle around the room and the person at the front said, oh, yes, of course. And I was, I was confused. I had grown up in this church. I'd only known um, what we do in the Uniting Church and at the Billabong. Um, and so at this point, I hadn't heard of churches where women weren't allowed to preach um, and I honestly didn't know it was a thing. So I found out, um, and as I found out, a lot of my brothers and sisters in Christ that I know from uni would definitely disagree with me standing up in front of you all today uh, and explaining the Bible. And you know what? I am okay with that. Um, this revelation led me to study for myself why it was that I believed a woman could preach. I read a really good book on the subject um, and I've spoken to some of the friends who disagree with me and I am comfortable with where I stand. Do I think it made a difference for my salvation or the salvation of my friends who is actually right about this? No. But it is important for me to have a reason for a belief that I held. Not everybody would have situations like mine, but I'd encourage you, especially if you're young in years or spiritually young um, and haven't ever thought about it before, look into the reasons you have for your beliefs and listen to and learn from Christians who have a strong faith but who maybe you haven't come across before. Allow yourself to be challenged but not outraged. Look a little deeper. Ask others for answers to the tough questions and hopefully through that, God will grow your faith and help you to become more mature. So I encourage you to think on those questions. I think they're still around, yeah. Um, and to deliberately invest time and prayer into the relationships you've built within the church, both this church and the wider church. Do you speak the truth in love? Is someone helping you grow? Are you helping someone else grow? As well as that, uh, another challenge um, is... Um, are you trying to grow yourself as a Christian? Are you seeking out ways to be spiritually fed? Or do you just kind of rely on sermons every second or third Sunday? Because part of Christian growth is making it happen for yourself. You could be surrounded by a, member, by a number of gifted evangelists, teachers, prophets, and have full access to the teaching of the Bible, but not make any attempt to grow your faith. So I just, yeah, ask you to think about that. Ultimately, to become a mature body, we all need to trust in Jesus. He is the head. Even if we were the most amazing arm ever, we would be nothing without the head. In verse 16, it says he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. So this is not something that we do. It's all from Jesus. To reach maturity and to become as a church more like Jesus, we need to cling to his word and consistently come back to what is important. As it says, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. We have to remember that and keep the vision of one united church under Christ in our heads, because only then will it all make sense. We are the body. We don't want to leave some members struggling and falling away. We want to use what gifts we have to bring the whole church to maturity. In verse 13, Paul points us forwards to what we are trying to attain a maturity that we can reach in the new creation. 
He says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So I hope that in reflecting on this passage and thinking about these questions and what gifts you see in the church and in yourselves, um, that we can continue to grow into that wonderful, strong, united body of Christ. And I hope and pray that we will never stop growing and keep on passing our wisdom and equipping each new generation that grows up within the Billabong. Um, I might just pray to close. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Um, I pray that parts of it will stick in our brains um, and that, yeah, we think about in the coming weeks um, how we are going and growing as Christians and growing as a church. And I pray that you give us opportunities to build up leaders within our church um, and to build relationships with each other so that we might speak the truth in love to each other, grow each other and... Um, and see growth in all the people and all the generations of our church. In Jesus' name, amen.